Welcome to this week's message from Crosspoint Community Church. You can find us on the web at crosspointonline.org. There, you can find links to our social media accounts. Led by Pastor Mike Deese, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. in Roswell, Georgia. Now presenting this week's message. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Can you believe that we're already 20 days into this new year? Huh? Here we are. We're 20 to January the 20th. 20 days into the new year. Uh, and so I need to back up to the first eight. Now, um, how many of y'all uh, this past year... I mean, you know the tradition, and you 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 and you did it this past year as far as having, you know, collard greens, black dried black eyed peas, and then ham. How many of you did that on New Year's Day? Uh huh. Yeah. Now, and so everybody knows the story on that, right? Why you have collard greens? What's that for? More money. Uh, black eyed peas. Huh? More coins. They're both, those are both money. Are you kidding me? No. I, I don't even know. I mean, it, hey, all I know is, and what's the, what's the black eyed peas for? Yeah, whatever. No. So, see how traditions get all messed up? See, it's just, I, they, you know, where do these come from in the first place? Well, I don't know, but all I know is I love collard greens, and I love black-eyed peas, and I, and I love ham, you know, so, and, and cornbread. And uh, we used to do the crackling cornbread. Anybody did do crackling cornbread this past year? Anybody? Uh, you did? That's pretty good. I'm, I'm impressed. All right, so <laughs> here's the deal on that, though. <clears throat> if you were to do the collard greens... That's not just something that you uh, get up, you know, on New Year's Day and, you know, you throw that on the stove. Collard greens, it's a process. Uh, I mean, from, you know, getting the collard greens, you know, if you didn't pick them, you got them from the store. I mean, there, it's a process. And for us, my, my dad, the people down in the country, they usually get us some collard greens. And then there's a process of blanching them. Y'all know about that? Y'all ever blanch the collard greens? Okay, so you blanch them, you know, cook them down. And that takes a while. You blanch them, and then, and then you cook the stew. I mean, you just cook them. I mean, you're cooking them. And the, really, the longer, the better. So it's a process uh, of getting that to the point to where it's good. And the same thing for the dried black-eyed peas. It's a process. Now, when it comes, you're going, why are you talking about this? When it comes to Scripture, there are some passages of Scripture that is just very clear. You get up and you read it and it's very clear. You just, it's there. Oh, this is what God says. This is what I need to do. Boom, done. But then there are other passages that we come to, uh, that, that take some, uh, take some time. You, you, it's got to simmer. You got to cook on it for a while in order for, it to really be ready and to have the intended purpose to, to leave you fulfilled and, and clear. So uh, this particular passage is a collard passage. 
Y'all got that? This is a collar patch. It's, and it's like one of those that for me, that it just you got to steal it. It takes a process to really allow God to be able to resonate what it is that He wants to speak to you about in and through this particular passage. And it's found in Mark chapter 14. Now, uh, as we enter into this new year, one of the things that we started off by talking about is the importance of not holding on but letting go. Uh, and this is just another passage that helps me and you understand that if we're going to experience life as God intended for us to experience it, we got to get good at letting go. We got to let go. And there are some things that we uh, just in the flesh and by nature and according to the world, we tend to hold on to. But it's here that we see a passage that of an individual that has experienced the transforming work of God in their life, but we can also see what religion does to you as well. Does that make sense? So we're not here uh, in order to become more religious, but to encounter the transforming presence of God and then in response to Him, experience life abundant and free. So let's read this passage together. In the life of Jesus, Mark chapter... 14, beginning with verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill Him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While He was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leopard, a woman came with an alabaster jar of a very expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those who were present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She has, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. It's in this particular passage that we need to ask ourselves uh, as we allow God through His Holy Spirit to, to simmer this in our souls uh, that we see, you know, distinct worldviews, distinct lifestyles, uh, that of self-focus and that of Christ-focus, that that gets it and that which doesn't. And as we allow this to simmer in our souls, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just thank You so much for this day. We, I thank You for each and every person that You've brought to this place today so that we can sit at Your feet. 
And, and much as in this passage, Lord, we just want to join with you and allow you to speak your truth to us. Oh, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence and we desire for your movement in our hearts and in this place in a way that would allow us to experience that for which you desire for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you're glorified not only as Your Word goes forth, but Lord, as we are doers and responders to Your Word today. For we make it our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so this is one of the, you know, again, one of the passages, you know, when, as, I, as I was just looking at this, it's like, okay, Lord, I, it's not real clear what, you want, what response you want out of me in this right here, right off the bat. You know, it's not like a list of one, two, three things that, you know, that I can do. What, what is it that you want to say in this particular passage? And, and as it marinated, you know, and simmered and cooked down, you know, it really came out to the title that you have there on your program is Extravagant Worship. Extravagant Worship. Now, where did that come from? Well, think about this. You know, we are, we're in a very influent world, you know, in, in America, especially here in, in North Atlanta. You know, there's, there's a lot of obsession, you know, with extravagant lifestyles, you know, and then, you know, you've even got the t- TV programs, the lives of the rich and famous and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, from a world's perspective, we are extravagant. Extravagant. And, and really, as I was thinking about that, and looked at that word, uh, I asked Siri, I asked Siri, what does extravagant mean? And, and this is the reason I put this. Extravagant is this, exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate. And then it says, absurd. Really? Exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate. And then it added, absurd. Uh Webster says exceeding the limits of reason or necessity. So why would we even want to use that word extravagant? Because I I think as we, again, cook this down, God will reveal to us that what He desires is worship. He created us to worship, and the only real worship is extravagant worship. A little bit of background for this particular passage. Um, it's occurred on Tuesday of the final week of Jesus' life. So on Sunday, he had entered into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. On Monday, he had cleared out the temple, you know, from the money changers. And then this is Tuesday, two days before the Lord's Supper, three days before Jesus was crucified. And really, I think the timing of this helps bring it into perspective for us. And it's here that we again see these two different distinct approaches of life diametrically opposed. So we see this in this passage as we pick up on it. Again, it's here uh, during the Passover. You know, Jesus has already stirred up the Pharisees, the religious folks, and they're out to get Him, and they're not going to do it right now. But while He is there, it says that He was here uh, in this memorable event uh, in the home of Simon the leper. And it's one that Jesus had healed. Uh, and the picture in the verse 3 right there, it says, while he was there reclining at the table. Now, and I want us to kind of get this picture. They're reclining at the table, and, and the custom of that particular day was that, you know, the women would not be at the table, uh, and also that they didn't sit and eat, you know, they have their chairs or, or whatever, benches or whatever it is, and sit and eat. They reclined to eat, you know, so they were kind of on their elbow. So you're going, I'm just having a hard time visualizing this. Try to visualize my family about 
15 years ago would saw these six kids, you know, when it came to mealtime. I mean, it was just, you know, crazy. You know, they were just reclining, you know, laying around just at the table and eating. Here's Jesus and well, with, with these folks, and they are experiencing this fellowship together. Now, Jesus is savoring this moment, having this moment with them. This is the last week of His life. And during this meal, something unexpected happens. In comes this woman, you know, and in the midst of this, and she breaks open, it, it says, this jar of a perfume, of alabaster jar, a perfume, and then she anoints Jesus with it. She, she just pours it on Jesus' head. Now, in the parallel, uh, in the Gospel of John, it lets us know that this was uh, Mary, uh, the, um, the sister of Lazarus. Uh, and, and that not only did she pour this alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, uh, the, which the Bible tells us la later on, is that it's worth like a year's wage. A year's wage. Now, I don't know how much, I don't need to know how much, you know, you make, but I mean, it's like, that, that's big time. A year's wage, and she not only anoints Jesus' head, but she anoints His feet. Just, just pours it all over Him. And so it's this beautiful act of extravagant worship that she comes in and, and performs. And as we see this, I think it, it helps us to understand a little bit of extravagant worship. I'd, I'd say this is extravagant worship. She doesn't care what's going on as far as, you know, the expectations of the culture or the customs or whatever the case is, but there's this movement within her and then, and, and there had to be a little bit of preparation for this because she had to at least go get it. So it wasn't just, just spontaneous, but it, it was a desire that it that was within her soul, within her spirit to lavish this on Jesus Christ. We'll look at this a little bit more. But I mean, you can imagine, you know, the, the faces like, okay, uh, 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 of those that were there. It's like, wait a minute, number one, you're not supposed to be at the table. Number two, I mean, not in the middle of this, this meal that we're having, and we're talking about all this spiritual stuff. You know, so you, you can imagine, I mean, you know, somebody came busting in, you know, at a, your formal uh, Thanksgiving luncheon and would do something crazy. I mean, you, you're like, what's going on? And so we see that in the responses here of, of those that were there. Uh, they're, not, they're not real happy with what's going on. Uh, they resist it. And it really begs this question as, as we're thinking about this is, you know, how much worship is too much worship? You know, how much is too much? Was this absurd? This act of marriage, was this absurd really? How much is too much? Um, this past uh, week uh, at the Perspectives, uh, on Monday night, there's a perspective score if you've heard about, about we were telling you about the last few weeks. Uh, but the speaker was, uh, made a great point. And, and if I had, heard, if I thought about this before, I've forgotten it. And so it was good to hear it again. But it was, it was just talking about the, the continuum as far as, you know, God and his, and his desire for us as his children to be his witnesses in the world. And there are several different motivations that we would have to be witnesses for him, to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. And one is because you know, apart, from Je apart from Jesus Christ, we're lost. 
and we need saving. One could be the lostness of people, but he talks about on the other end of the continuum is just the worthiness of God. We are created to worship and He is worthy of our worship. And here's the point that he made. He said, he said, he doesn't, he said, I don't believe that Satan's real motive, you know, uh, and, and people being in hell is just to see them to suffer and all that kind of stuff. But he wants to keep people from experiencing the good news of Jesus Christ to rob God who is worthy of worship from every single one of those who misses out on the salvation of Jesus Christ. The worthiness of God. God is worthy of our worship. And, and in this particular moment, she lavishes this worship on Him. Now verse, and five, verse 4 and 5, we see their response to it. It says, Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more of a year's wage and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. So here's the deal. And, and again, over in John, the parallel passage in John uh, chapter 12, it, it, it says that Judas was kind of the one that was leading that. But there were these folks that were rebuking her, that, that, were, that were going, this is not right. What's going on there? Let me ask you this. Have you, have you ever been rebuked because of your love for Jesus Christ? Have you, ever, have you ever experienced that? Here she is. She's doing something amazing that, that, that we're going to see that Jesus says is a beautiful thing and she's being rebuked by, by the religious establishment. She's being rebuked by even some of those that were falling along with Christ. Mary acted and the jury, uh, Judas jury reacted. And sometimes as we think about this, you know, we could almost see a little bit of picture of, of Western Christianity, the practicality of it. See, the problem I think here is this, that, that their focus was, was really on their agenda. Mary's focus was on Jesus. They, they were saying, uh, they were looking to Jesus like, okay, Jesus almost as a, end, uh, a means to an end. Lord, I, I'm going to follow you because I think that you can help make this better. And then yet Mary's this all-out, complete, extravagant worship. They weren't sensitive to Jesus' needs. Their focus was really on how Jesus could accommodate them, what Jesus could do for them. But Mary saw beyond that. She wasn't just going, what can you do for me today, God? What can you do for me today? And think about that. How often we go, and Lord, it's all about, you know, my life. But we're created for His story. His story. As followers of, his, of Jesus Christ, we need to be reminded of that, that this is His story. He's not just, you know, this slot machine up there like, okay, help me in this, 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 and help me get to this particular place. No, 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 no. God... What's your plan? What's your desire? So here's Mary. She's sensitive to what's going on in Jesus' life. And I don't understand all that. But then she responds and she just lavishes her love and her worship on Him. 
And it's little wonder, it's little wonder that she's sensitive to what Jesus' needs are because she, the last three times that we had seen Mary, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's at the feet of Jesus. Her only concern was her love and her devotion for Jesus. And here's the amazing thing. The most extravagant thing that she ever did, she did to Jesus. Let that cook a little bit. You know, the most extravagant thing that she ever did, she did to Jesus. Hey, hmm. think about the extravagant things that you've done. I, you know, as I was looking at it, thinking about the extravagant things that I've done, and I mean, we, we've done some extravagant things, right? The most extravagant thing that she ever did she did to Jesus. It wasn't self-motivated. It was Christ-directed. Christ-motivated. Mary acts. They react, react to it, not liking it, scorning, getting on to her. But then we see the response of Jesus. Look at this. Verse 6. Leave her alone. Said Jesus, why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Here's Jesus' praise of her. In her worship, He's going, guys, you, you've missed the point. You've missed it. Leave her alone. Yes, this isn't customary. Yes, this is out of the box. This is coloring way outside of the line. But this is, this is worship. This is what it really is. This is, this is why I created you in the first place, to have a relationship with you, and you're created to, to worship me, not yourself, not your agenda, not your goals, but to me. Ah, yes, I have plans for you. He addresses her extravagant act, and he says, you know, she did this to me. And then he responds to their pious you know, point about the poor, and, 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 and it was not sincere. He goes, yes. He, and it wasn't G that Jesus is saying, you know, I don't care about... No, 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 no. He's saying, huh. in His Word, He says, as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done to Me. But He's going, listen, guys, the poor you will always have. But what she has done, she has done to Me. You won't always have Me in your presence. Three days before My crucifixion. She has done what she could. The little rendering of that is what she had, she did. What she had, she gave. Mary made this decision out of, I don't know what prompting, you know, how God did that in her life, but it didn't matter the traditions or the customs, but she went straight in there and anointed Christ. I'm not sure why she did that. You know, there's you get all the theological books and all that. I'm not, not sure what she was thinking. It was customary in that particular day, though, you know, to when someone come, came into your house, you know, to just drop a little oil and, you know, to wash their, have your servants wash their feet. And, and this hadn't happened there, but she came in and lavished in the middle of the meal. Uh, it was also customary at that time whenever there was uh, someone that was rising up to be in leadership, you know, to anoint them, you know, with uh, oils and perfumes and things of this nature. And it could have been that, you know, she was thinking, well, 
Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. I get it, I get it, I get it. Let's go ahead and make this happen. You know, let's acknowledge this. Maybe, maybe she got it as far as what he had already been teaching as far as that, hey, he was going to lay down his life. He was going to be crucified. But whatever, whatever her thinking was, we just need to know this. When it comes to doing a beautiful thing to Jesus, when it comes to worshiping Him, truly worshiping Him, and He says, those that worship Me, worship Me in spirit and truth. True worship Him. There are, four, there are four things that are true that we see in this particular passage. Number one, doing a beautiful thing to Jesus or true worship, extravagant worship is never measured. It's never measured. In other words, she wasn't sitting there going, oh, I'm not sure I can do this. You know, it's, it's not measured. It's a response to the Lord. It's not measured. How many times have we said it, you know, just kind of counting, you know, oh, can I afford, you know, giving Jesus the leftovers? And he goes, no, no, true worship is never measured. But also we see that it's always humble. It required humility for her. To let down your hair as a woman in that day, you know, was a sign of prostitution. And, and you know, yet she took her hair and she washed Jesus' feet. It always, it's always humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's never measured. It's always humble. And it's often criticized or misunderstood. When's the last time that you were misunderstood or criticized for your worship of the Lord? She, she, she threw caution to the wind and she responded because of the transformation that Jesus had brought to her life. She wasn't just religious. She had been transformed. It's never measured. It's always humble. It's usually criticized or misunderstood. But what we see in this is that it always points to the cross. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't know if she got it or not, but here's the deal. If you just respond, if you just do what God says do, whatever the prompting may be, He will use it to point people to the cross. That's what we see Jesus saying um, in verse 8. Look at verse 8. It says, She, has done, she did what she could, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. What? What? If we just take God at His Word, acknowledge that He loves us. He loves us so much that He sent His Son Jesus to live and to die for us to let the cross be the backdrop of every decision that we make, to know how much we are loved. We take that and we allow Jesus just to simmer that to our soul, that we are loved and His desire is to come in to our condition and to, to know that we can't do anything to measure up. We can't perform good enough. We can't, you know, we can't break a, a, a hundred a hundred jars of perfume and work our way into God's grace. We can't perform our way into it. We don't earn our way into it, but we come and acknowledge what has been done to us, for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's, the cross is an indictment on us saying, you are lost, you can't, only I can. 
And it's to come and to lay our lives down and our wills down and receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. She did what she could. And what she did pointed to the cross. It was a message of the upcoming crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Extravagant worship, as we look at this, really isn't, it's not absurd. It's the only real worship. It's whenever we lose ourselves in who we are in Jesus Christ. My question as I was looking at this was, you know, where am I in the story? I want to pose that to you. Do you see yourself in this? Do, do, do you see yourself in this story? As I, as I was looking at this, I was like, uh, I was feeling a little bit of conviction because I'm going, mm, there's times I'm just, I'm a little bit too practical. It's like, whoa, whoa. You know, but here's the good news. As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a child of God, there's therefore now no condemnation. There may be conviction like, hey, wait a minute, You're, you, got, you, you need to come to the place of letting me transform your life and your mind in a way to where you can live not a measured life. Not a measured life. Don't me are you measuring what you're going to do for God? I'm going to do this right here. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's backwards. Have you allowed, have you allowed pride to kind of to keep you from responding to in, in the way the Lord has led you to, to, to live or something He's called you to do, you're going, I, I'm just a little bit, I don't want to do that. I'm, because you're too focused on people? Are you afraid to be criticized? Are you afraid to be misunderstood? Is what you're doing pointing people to the cross or pointing people to the world? Do you see yourself in this story? I happen to read Oswald Chambers at my utmost far as highest. Anybody? Everybody that's ever said? Uh, it's just a little daily devotion, a very short devotion that, uh, on Friday morning. I read it on Friday morning. And, and listen to what Oswald Chambers said in that, on that day. He first quotes John 4, 7 where Jesus encounters the woman at the well and it, he says, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And then the devotion part. How many of us are expecting Jesus to quench our thirst when we should be satisfying Him? We should be pouring out our lives, investing our total beings, not, draw, not drawing on Him just to satisfy us. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You shall be My witnesses. That means lives of pure, uncompromising, and unrestrained devotion to the Lord Jesus, which will be satisfying to Him wherever He may send us. So it's, it's taking and allowing again, just as Mary. It's like, it's not focused on me, it's focused on Him. He goes on, he says, beware of anything that competes with your loyalty to Jesus Christ. And he says that one of the greatest competitors to true devotion to Jesus is the service we do for Him. It is easier to serve Him than to pour out our lives completely for Him. The goal of the call of God in our lives is His satisfaction, not simply something we do for Him. Do you see yourself in this particular passage? 
something beautiful, Jesus asked. She did something beautiful for me. Anytime we come to worship, I mean, it's kind of tradition. So, you know, we have a tradition. We come at 11 o'clock on Sundays. You know, it's just like them tradition to have a meal, to be reclining at the table. And, and yet, you know, here we are reclining with Jesus. Here we are at His house. Here we are before Him. And we have an opportunity, every single one of us have an opportunity at this particular moment to do something beautiful to Him. To do something beautiful to Him. Not just like, oh, Lord, help. No, no. And when our lives have been transformed by Him, we can see that if today you go, what, what, what would that be? Well, it's just, it's just like Mary here. Maybe the whisper of the Holy Spirit for you today is this. Break a vase. Break a vase. And it may be something you've been holding on to for years. And today, the most extravagant thing you could do is break the vase of pride and self-sufficiency and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords and He loves you and He came to save you. Break the vase. Lay it down. Matthew 16.25 If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. How many times have we just kind of, oh, I got to hold on to this. I never know when I might use it. Recently, at our house, we're going through a purging. You know, six kids and all that kind of stuff. And we're going through a purge. We have collected so much stuff. You never know when you're going to use you know, you're going to need it. You know, still got the, very first baby bed. You know, we still had the very first baby bed of our six kids. Thinking, you know, they're going to want it. Well, all of you have been through that. You know, they don't want it. They don't want it. Never know when we get... You know, that's kind of measured, isn't it? Break a vase. And it may be that the vase He's calling you... That, that are, by the way, the, in, in this story, it, it's really clear in, in, the, in the Gospel of John. It said the fragrance filled all the room. And once it, that, that vial is broken, that vase, that jar is broken, you, can't, you don't, can't put the top back on. It's all gone. Break a vase. Perhaps you, you know, you've known a lot, you've gone to a lot of church services, but you've never come and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and say, hey, I'm yours. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's been fear for you. I mean, it's been, it's been measured. You've been concerned about what people would think, but you felt God prompting you for quite a while and, and because of fear or because of the lies of the evil one or whatever the case is, you've, just, you've been paralyzed right there where you are rather, rather than just entering into doing that for which God's called you to do. And it may be service. It may be some aspect of ministry, but you just feel, you know, you're, you're believing the lies. You feel inadequate. No, no, no. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Break a vase. 
break of ace. Several years ago, some of you have heard this, Steve Green sang a song, Broken and Spilled Out. Anybody remember that? Broken and Spilled Out, Steve Green. Listen to the words of this. One day a plain village woman, driven by love for our Lord, recklessly poured out a valuable essence, disregarding the scorn. And once it was broken and spilled out, a fragrance filled all the room like a prisoner released from his shackles, like a spirit set free from the tomb. And then the chorus, broken and spilled out, just for love of you, Jesus, my most precious treasure lavished on thee, broken and spilled out, and poured at your feet in sweet abandon. Let me be spilled out and used up for thee. Break a vase. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank You for Your presence here. And we thank You that Your Word just really gets down to the core of what it's all about. And Lord, it is that You are God, we're not. That Your desire is that that we have a relationship with you, not, but not just so that we can, you can be a means to our end, but Lord, to see you as the end. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the one that moves in our hearts and lives just as you did in Mary's. And you initiate a response that is beautiful to you. Lord, I pray that right now, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, that You would show us the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing that You would have us do for You. That would glorify You. That would be a demonstration that we're not holding on to our life, but we're letting go so that we can find it in You, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we each, not in order to perform our way into Your grace, not in order to be accepted by You, but Lord, may we each break the vase that You are directing us to break today through Your Holy Spirit. And may the fragrance of our unmeasured, humble, and willingness to be misunderstood Point not only us, but all to the earth cross. Words in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Cross Point Community Church. You can find us on the web at crosspointonline.org. There, you'll find links to our social media accounts. We gather every Sunday at 11 a.m. in Roswell, Georgia. Tune in next week.